0: Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan Every Saturday morning It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Terry takes you inside the outdoors You know, hunting,
1: fishing, camping It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Now, here's Terry All right, we're back And let's go right to the phones I hope he wasn't already on the line And listening when I said those good things about him Here's Nate Zielinski Good morning Terry, how are you today? I'm doing well. You probably didn't get on the phone quick enough to hear the wonderful things I said about you, did you?
0: I did not. We're here early. I was just running to get good service.
1: <laughs> so I'm, I'm not going to repeat them because saying good things about you twice in the same morning, is just, I don't know if I could take. No, what I <laughs> what I said was we're going to start our Masters of Ice Fishing in a couple weeks, and we're going to have people like Steve Panaz and Dave Gentz and Bro all on, national celebrities, but I also mentioned a few of you guys around here, like Austin and Ronnie Castiglione. And then I mentioned, you know, you're as knowledgeable and accomplished an ice fisherman as there is in the country. And we're going to obviously be hearing from you during this ice fishing season as we approach it and everything. So it's going to be a lot of fun this year, I think. I appreciate it, Terry. You know, and I think it's cool that we spend so much time on ice
0: simply for the fact that, of how much the sport has grown as an industry, and more so the overall growth by the anglers. We talk about it all the time, but you know, Colorado alone is sitting somewhere just shy of a thirty percent growth rate every year.
1: Which th- there's not a sport in the country that's those type numbers. Hey there, Nate. Kind of cut out on me. Hopefully, we're not in a the- bit. To, uh, to high level or so. educate everybody that's getting involved in the sport. Yeah, you cut out a little bit there, Nate, but I got the gist of what you said. You're exactly right. You know, when I moved to Colorado a million years ago, and it was during the ice fishing revolution where Dave Gantz and myself and Doug Stangy and a few people were really pushing ice fishing. And there was a small, hardcore population in Colorado that seriously ice fish. Now it's in the hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, mean, if you really think back about the technology alone, you know, flasher graphs 15 years
0: ago were barely coming on. And now we're looking at live sonar and and everything else. So I, I think most of the brands in the country are, you know, at least acknowledging ice fishing and building equipment specifically for ice fishing. And like you said, you know, 20 years ago, you drove by. Some of the lakes, it wasn't even a thing. And now you, know, you can't go by a, a frozen lake that doesn't have ice fishing on it nowadays. So it's exciting. Terry, uh, again, I think that as we approach ice fishing, you know, not that that's the highlight of the talk today, but we always talk safety. There are anglers, you know, walking in, doing the high country thing. And as of the last two or three days, I know four or five bodies of water up in the high country that, that people have ice fished now. So even though we're far from the main season starting, uh, the season's really here. Everything kind of keeps
1: sneaking up on us. And uh, ice is one of those things that it, it's very close. It really is, and we're going to talk a lot about it throughout the month of November, and we're going to dedicate some time to it, but what are you doing mostly right now? I know you're hunting, and there's still some great fishing going on. Absolutely,
0: Jay. You know, we're basically wrapping up the open water season. Terry all pulled their boat ramps this week, uh, 11 mile, and then basically this is your last weekend in Ontario and 11 mile for boating, so the pike fishing is outstanding. The big trout fishing is outstanding, so... There's still mountain fishing to be done. Uh, shore fishing, obviously, will continue a while. But really, Terry, right now, for me, it is all about hunting and chasing big walleyes. And that's basically how uh, I've narrowed things down. So today is the start of our second rifle season in the mountain zones. So that is a deer and elk combined season. It's also our longest season because it encompasses two weekends. So this is the overall busiest hunting season uh, or weekend that Colorado sees. So a lot of hunters out, you know, again, hunting deer and elk up in the high country uh, and all over the mountains who are excited to see that. Uh, And honestly, Terry, I don't think conditions could be better. We've been so lucky this year with ideal conditions. You know, the first rifle season, when we talk about first rifle, that's elk only And we want those elk to be running. We want nice, hot, dry weather. And we were lucky enough to have that. We had great temperatures, had a phenomenal harvest rate for first rifle. And as our numbers continue to come in, it is definitely above average as far as our take for that first rifle season. I know a lot of hunters have been asking about that. We are definitely above average. Of elk on that first rifle season, and then this week when we start getting the bulls separated from the cows, we you know start to see the deer kind of getting more hunted. Um, we want cold, and having that snowstorm that hit us you know into the last week was nothing but great. Um, you know, it's not that the deer are in rut, but it definitely the, the colder weather, the snow, it keeps the deer and elk both on their feet longer. It definitely helps the deer kind of start to notice the doze more. You kind of get that. Really early rut phase coming in, even though the rut's not for another three weeks or so. Um, when you get that really cold snow, we start to see those bucks start to hang around a little bit. Uh, in fact, I was I'm just driving home from the field right now, but I today was my first day seeing bucks with does. You know, I've had a lot of small two-by-twos and real immature deer, uh, bucks hanging with the does. But today is my first day of seeing mature deer um, hanging with the does. So it's, it's starting. So that cold front that hit right before the second rifle was tremendous. Then we have another storm coming middle of this week, you know, Wednesday, Thursday. Uh, so the second rifle hunters are absolutely loving it. Some of the higher country got some decent snow. I'm up kind of higher elevations of conifer, and I got eight inches out of that last storm. So So
1: we got some decent snow out of it. Yeah, it really, uh, it's really setting up. Well, and you know, I, I started the show today when I was talking to Ronnie Castiglione that, uh, and this applies to hunting too, that I used to try to keep seasonal logs and know what was going on, but anymore between the fishing and the hunting, the weather, the climate, the, the changes, and then water levels and availability of water, it changes so much. You really have to put your homework in anymore.
0: You honestly do, Terry. And I mean, I think it's kind of a combination. You know, everybody wants one rule to follow. And I talk to hunters about this all the time. I talk to anglers about this. You want a calendar date, you want a water temperature, you want a moon phase for the rut. Everybody wants a simple answer. And the truth of it, you know, when it comes down to the biology of nature, it is a combination of the moon phase, the temperature, you know, the season, the, the forage base for either grass or, or bait fish or in a fishing situation. There's so much that comes into it. And, you know, the more that you grow as an outdoorsman, you start taking in, you know, multi-species of fishing, multi-species of hunting. It's hard to keep up with. And I'm not going to lie. It, it is a full-time job just keeping up with what the animals are doing or where you should be, you know, in pursuing of, of game, both fishing and hunting. Uh, So so it definitely gets tough. And that's where, you know, we're trying to do our part to help you with that. The last thing I have to say, I I had talked to a hunter this week, and I told him I would discuss uh, kind of the concepts of pre-rut deer on the radio today. So I have to kind of sneak this in here. Um, When we talk about early phases of rut for deer, again, we're not going to see that mainstay rut coming in. Until basically the full moon, uh, you know, coming up in whatever, 13 days or 12 days, 10 days, whatever we are from here. Uh, So it's going to be, you know, into the middle of November when we hit that that full moon. That's going to be the first phase of that rut, and then they'll kind of wrap up that rut in late November. But when we talk about early rut conditions, you know, one of the things, it's not necessarily the the surest fire technique, but it it gives you a, a pretty good odds, is we always call it guilty by association. So... You're going to go out in the woods, and when I start seeing a lot of does, so whether it's a handful, small group, you know, four or five does, or those bigger groups where there's 10, 15 does out in a big group, um, we always start searching around those does because the first wave of that rut, those bucks will hang, you know, two, three hundred yards off those does, a half mile off those does. But they start to what we call that have that association where They're in the vicinity where they can smell them. They can see them. They kind of just keep a close eye on it. By no means are they with them. So if you see does, it's not like he's going to be, you know, five yards off. But you will start to see these bucks starting to really separate out of their bachelor groups and really kind of have a little bit of association to those does. So one of the tips that I have for kind of that pre-rut deer situation is, you know, when you find does, don't get discouraged. Don't just immediately look away, but, you know, find your does and start looking in the higher country above them, looking in the rougher country. You know, if the does are in a meadow or nice, you know, sagey type stuff, look at the bluffs, the cliffs. Look at the rockier, rougher country near them. And all of a sudden, you'll start to be able to pick apart where those bucks are located. Because, again, just in the last couple days, we're starting to see that association to those does. Um, and, again, just seeing deer gets you close, now you just got to fine-tune the patterns of those bigger bucks. Mostly those big bucks are going to come check on those does in the dark. So they're going to be closer to the does in the dark the second it gets light they retreat pretty quick so you get you're just kind of you know very first light very last light you're kind of just checking you know around those does and there's a good chance you're going to find a buck kind of hanging out associated with those does and that's probably the best pre-rut kind of mule activity uh you can have right now
1: and you're seeing that throughout the mountains throughout the high country right now pretty much Absolutely, Terry.
0: So I, I kind of have done a couple of things between myself, family, you know, kind of all the, the hunting, uh, everything from I checked on does in Kiowa all the way up into, like, the South Park area and then cutting over into Kremlin. Um, so pretty much across the, the whole area we're seeing that activity. I'm seeing more bucks, uh, call it rut activity, on the eastern plains um, than I am in the mountains, which is kind of odd. Usually you see, you know, the mountains cooling off and kind of see that earlier rut. But either way, the, the plains deer, I'm seeing a little bit more rut activity. But the deer that I saw in Kremling and in South Park were both physically showing signs of the rut. So the, the bigger deer that I saw, kind of the South Park area and the Middle Park area, Um, they all had kind of that ruddier neck. They all had the swollen brow. Um, So all these bucks were starting to show the physical characteristics of being in the rut. The deer that I saw weren't, again, with the does, but they were pretty dang close. Um, And they all had the characteristics of it, which is fairly early to see. So it's kind of nice to see. So I would be you know, fairly comfortable saying statewide we're starting to see the very beginning stages of a pre-rut activity.
1: All right, let's switch gears. What do you see in fishing out there? You said you're concentrating on the big walleyes. I would assume that's Chatfield and Cherry Creek because we've spent a lot of time talking about those waters this year, but because they've provided some incredible fishing. I mean, Terry, I I, I
0: actually was laughing at a good friend of mine because they drove up to Glindo, and then I had another friend that was driving out to McConaughey. And I am like, why on earth would you torment yourself driving to those fisheries, you know, that are two, three hours away when you could stay right here at Chapfield. Church? Everybody laughs at me. And, Terry, there's no doubt I have a love for those two reservoirs more than anybody in the state. But we are catching so many fish and so many big fish. Um, I mean, at Chapfield, say in the last month, so just call it a four-week period, I've seen over a dozen fish in my boat over 30 inches. Um, so we are seeing huge fish, uh, biggest fish this month was a 33 and a quarter. Um, I mean, a fall fish weighing 33 and a quarter is an absolute giant. Um, so we're seeing big fish. We're seeing numbers of fish. Um, it's one of those scenarios that I, I just can't talk enough about those fisheries right now. So, uh, yeah, and it's fairly simple. We're breaking down our daytime activity. It is nothing but jigging wraps and blades. Um, you know, so I am jigging wrap and blade bait fishing kind of true to those fisheries characteristics, we'll call it. Cherry Creek is fishing way better on blade bait. Chatfield is fishing better on jigging wraps. So Chatfield, my daytime, I'm seeing my fish slightly deeper. So they're sitting like at the bottom of basins. They're sitting slightly lower in the water column. So my fish at Chatfield, I'm catching them in 20 to 25 feet of water. My fish at Cherry Creek are still kind of up on structure. I'm doing really well in that 12 to 14 feet of water. So jigging wraps at Chatfield...
1: All right, Nate, we kind of lost you for a second again there. Nate, a slightly deeper diving jerkbait um,
0: and really working walls. So you are working contour edges with those jerkbaits, uh, a fairly aggressive snap, really get the ball bearings in those jerk baits, making noise, and then kind of a quicker pause. I'm doing about two-second pauses on the jerkbait, uh, and I'll tell you, it is a pattern that is catching some big fish. So the reaction during the day, jerk baits at night. And hang on, it has been fishing very, very well. Do
1: you think the long, the shorter pause has anything to do with that? We have warmer than typical water right now. I think that typically is it. Cause I mean,
0: typically by this time of year, those fish are—they're never like slow. You know, everybody thinks the water's cold and the fish are done. They still have a ton of energy in that colder water. But typically speaking, we would be doing those slightly—you know—boring three four second pauses right now and I mean I'm literally slap slap and I am I'm working the face as if I'm working a, a July or August jerk face, So very aggressive twitches or snaps or jerks on the bait, and then just a one, two and then go back after it again. so I, I do think that the warmer than normal temperature um, is helping us out, and more so, I think it's just because it 's been such a nice transition. We talked about this last week. you know I like it when you have this nice, slower transition, water temperature off, very basic it doesn 't put the fish in any sort of shock, and I think that lack of shock has really just allowed these fish to keep their energy and
1: stay very aggressive we got about a minute left. Any place in the mountains you'd go to get in some fishing? I know a lot of the ramps are closing. Where would you go?
0: You know, Terry, I think, you know, we talked about last week, but... Jumping up to like 11 mile right now simply because you have so many opportunities. There are still kokanee running up the dream stream. There are still a few browns running up the dream stream. There are big rainbows all over the place. And with that temperature change that we just talked about, our temperatures did not hit those lower temps where the pike fishing is outstanding until about right now. We love it when that water's in the mid-40s for those big pike. That usually happens about the you know, October 10th or so. This year, it's just hitting right now. So our water temperature is perfect for giant pike. You also have the option of big rainbows, browns, and kokanee. Uh, so the multi-species opportunities there is pretty, pretty second to none.
1: And when are you saying the boat ramps will close there? Everything's going to
0: close on Monday, on Halloween, the 31st, is when Ontario and Elabama will close the boating for the season.
1: All right. My friend, um, we will get talk to you next week, and you have a good rest of your day. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Nate Zelensky, always great information. I do need to correct something I said earlier. I talked that uh, Larimer County was going to their new boat ramp hours on Monday. It's actually Tuesday, November 1st. They're going to the new hours, which, uh, let me look up my note here. The new hours starting Tuesday at Larimer will be, I believe, eight to four. I believe eight to four at both Carter and Horsetooth starting Tuesday. So, but you can stay if you launch at horse you can stay later and, and you can bring your boat off. You just don't get a seal on it when you come off and you have to be reinspected. We're gonna take a quick time out when we come back, we're gonna continue talking fishes as Austin Parr is gonna join us on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on one oh four three the fan. listening to Terry from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones and joining us, one of our favorite contributors, Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good
2: morning, Terry. Thanks for having
1: me. Thanks for coming on. You know, it's a beautiful day. We had a weather change. We're going to get some really nice weather, and we're going to have another weather change in the middle of the week, although I'll be in Florida, so I won't get to experience it. But anyway, it's driving me crazy trying to pattern anything.
2: Yeah, it's been a little bit different, but the fishing has still been good. I mean we're we're catching a lot along the front range here and, and the walleye bite has been been productive, not necessarily in all the same ways that you would think that they would be doing at the moment, but in general the fish are feeding and and uh, the water temps are still in that, you know, mid fifties range in a lot of places. Now Nate was just
1: on. He talked a little bit about Chatfield and Cherry Creek, but I always like to get varied opinions because different fishermen approach them differently. At Chatfield, he's starting to see more of the blade baits and jigging wraps, and he's seeing quite a few big fish this month. At Cherry Creek, he's fishing more of the evening hours. Uh, What are you seeing when you approach those two lakes?
2: Yeah, we've also seen some nice big fish coming out of field. That's where I've personally been a lot over the last couple of weeks. And, and this, this last week kind of continued on the same pattern that I've been seeing. So looking out in some of the deeper water where you would normally be finding uh, good concentrations of fish on jigging wraps and blade baits, they have not been there nearly as much like I would normally be seeing. I have been catching the majority of my fish up shallow. Um, even in as shallow as six feet of water, uh, that'll change as the lake turns over, but it is not um, completely changed as of yet. So uh, they've been set up in, in that range from at the shallowest six feet down to 10 feet, not marking a lot of fish, but I'm fishing on the outside edges of the weed line and then also working on the outside edges of my rock faces fishing a variety of presentations they have mating blades a little bit but a slow rolled swim bait has been good as well as some live bait presentations uh crawlers and minnows both uh, split bobbers as well as on gig heads so it's been a very slow very almost dragging presentation but it has been producing big numbers of fish i've been not only catching the walleyes but also smallmouth and ending guide trips with you know, 50-50, 75 50 days. It's been spectacularly good, but just in a completely different way than I would normally be seeing.
1: And how about Cherry Creek? Uh, Cherry Creek is always uh, full of bait this time of the year, but the fish are reacting to that bait. Are we seeing them bunch
2: up at all? No, uh, to, to a degree, and that's literally the exact opposite of of Chatville as, as, we, as we have mentioned. Chatville has virtually no shad think that's part of the reason why those fish are up shallow they're they're hunting whatever forage they can find whether it be a baby smallmouth or a perch or a crawfish but at cherry creek there's a, an absolute uh, immense amount of bait uh everywhere that you go you have giant clouds so finding uh, uh, fish on digging spoons digging wraps blade baits and I'm, I'm fishing areas more than i am trying to find big heavy concentrations of fish so i'm i'm looking for the the deeper edges of my big main lake drop-offs, like at the tower hump or on the western side near the, the old roadbed, And uh, in the early morning, I'll find them a bit shallower. But then as the sun gets up a little bit, they're shifting out to a slightly deeper level. And I'll find them on the, the bottom half of those drop-offs. Uh, white digging wraps have been good, just a standard pearl-white color. Silver fluorescent chartreuse has been worthwhile, as well as regal shad, incorporating a bit of purple in there. And then per usual, the blade baits have been doing well. Uh, definitely more of the, the dragging presentation on those blades rather than an extensive hop. Just giving it a little bit of a rod tip flick and then reeling down a bit of slack and just barely creeping it along the bottom has been best for me.
1: All right, let's change gears a little bit. What are you seeing in the rivers? The rivers, to me, I would think with this cooling weather, we should see tremendous activity whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing them.
2: Yeah, it's one of my favorite places to be this time of year, getting up into the mountains. Places like the Eagle and the Colorado have been pretty spectacular. And we have a small window still where we'll have good ice-free conditions uh, without having uh, a lot of that impediment of having ice not only on the shoreline but also on your guide. But we're having good betas hatches in a lot of these places, so small juju betas patterns, as well as something like a little pheasant hill or copper john would be good choices. And then whether you're on the Eagle or the Colorado or any of these other freestown rivers, even shifting down to the Arkansas, the amount of brown trout in many of these rivers is pretty extensive. So thinking about an egg fly as these trout are spawning can be a good choice. And fly rod fishing, as we've mentioned, can be very good, but shifting over to the spinning rod on all of these rivers is also a good choice. Now, many people think about uh, throwing lures on the spinning rod, which I'll talk about here in just a second, but you can also work flies under a float i'll even break out a slip bobber at times where you can get your depth dialed in really nicely on some of those deeper runs and it gives you good range to get all the way to the other side of the river where a fly rod is a bit of a struggle without a drift boat but if that doesn't suit your fancy then things like small dirt baits hd trout x-wraps hit sticks from berkeley all are going to be very good choices and then a small spinner also can be good. It can be as classic as a, a Panther Martin or a Blue Fox. Working those in the deep runs and shallower riffles on the backside of the holes can be very, very productive. Yeah, and a lot of the rivers
1: are going to fish good. Like, you know, well, you talked about the free stones, but even the, The tailwaters, like the Big Thompson, is right here. It fishes great right through the winter. And the one below Pueblo on the Arkansas is one of my favorite winter fisheries. So there's going to be a lot of that going on. Well, we still have a couple minutes left. I want to switch gears real quick because we talk a lot about the walleyes fishing from a boat and then even the rivers. But there's an opportunity that's going to come up, a couple of them, and that's kokanee and rainbows and browns in the lakes. First, let's start with the kokanee. What are you hearing? I haven't heard a lot about kokanee this year. Yeah, there's been
2: pretty good runs coming up out of um, 11 miles into the Dream Stream. Folks have been finding a lot of good fish up there on San Juan worms and egg flies. Usually those cokes in the river will do pretty well with on the flower rod, but you can also drift afloat with a small uh, ice fishing tube jig. Granted, it's all flies and lures only up there, so no tipping of anything in the Dream Stream. But you can also shift down to Wolford. I've been hearing good things about the shoreline on the southern edge as well as up near the boat ramp. Definitely have to be mindful of the kokanee nets, similarly to, similar to the walleye. They net those fish, and then um, they'll gather the eggs uh, to then restock fish the next year, so you want to make sure to not get any lures into those. But you can have great success stripping clouser minnows on the fly rod and then also working those same ice fishing tube gauge trout traps tubes as well as atomic teasers from Berkeley tipped with a little mealworm or a wax from under a slip bobber can be quite deadly. And this time of year, I'd be very well up there. It's a little bit later run than in other places and it's peaking right about now.
1: Now, the other thing I want to switch to, and I actually want to spend a little bit of time. We're seeing the trout in the mountains really get active in the lakes. Now I'm talking in the body reservoirs and lakes and that, you know, whether we're at Granby or Grand Lake or, uh, Antero or up in North Park, they're, they're all doing well, but the boat ramps are closing. So a lot of those people are reverting to shore to fish for those up and down the front range. Now we've seen heavy stocking of rainbow trout. The water is cooling. And so we've got a lot of these holdover trout that are active that are hard to find during the summer. I would think up and down the front range, both tr- in a boat where trolling could be a, a, just a great way to approach it, or from the shore, we're going to see some great rainbow trout fishing on the front range for the next few weeks.
2: Absolutely. I've been seeing it on Chatfield already. Uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, they've nearly 7,000 trout up to 28 inches the Chatfield, so there's some big fish as well as those holdover fish from the summertime, and the trolling bite has been good. I had a guy trip this last week where we targeted trout for a period of time and ran planer boards with Tasmanian doubles and Castmasters, literally right down the middle of the lake out of the main basin area, and then into the no-wake zone slightly, and caught a lot of decent fish. Nothing giant, but up to 19 half inches, so some pretty high-quality trout. Same thing happens at Aurora right now, where you have the, the deep water, the trout hold well throughout the summertime, and you have big fish that'll come a bit shallower, Same thing goes. You have your electric motor. You control those planer boards or even just as simple as pitching a spoon out behind a boat. But some of those Tasmanians work great out there. And then there's good shore fishing opportunities out there. Not only can you run these same lures that we're discussing, but basic power bait and salmon egg style presentations on a bait line can really bode quite well. You can sit there with a second rod stamp and throw a secondary rod as well if you like. But even in smaller bodies of water and slightly up into the mountains, evergreen is really turning on right now. Georgetown is going to be great for the next couple of weeks. And up towards St. Brain State Park, they've been doing quite a bit of stocking as well as even horse So we're seeing good trout coming in throughout all around the front range, and great opportunities are to be had when some of the other warm water species begin to be a little bit less active in the cold water.
1: And great shore opportunities. You know, people talk, we talk about boats and electronics a lot, but this and spring are when the the shore anglers can really come into their own. The trout are comfortable in this cooler water, and it's going to get cooler, and they're going to get more active. And as you mentioned, a lot of stocking going on. You mentioned bait or power bait and have a second rod stamp, and that's almost like chumming and then work a lure around the same area. This is a great time for people that maybe aren't, the most accomplished anglers, but just want to catch fish. So they want to take their kids out and catch some fish. Or I'm a kid. I want to get out and do it, throwing some spinners or something. You you will catch some fish. Get out and fish these trout from
2: shore. One last comment. Anything else, Austin? So, you know, like uh, like I mentioned with this trout, you'll you'll have the shore fishing opportunities, but this is also a good time for the shore to be thinking about some of the saw guys and the walleyes. They'll start to move shallower in some of the uh, smaller bodies of water. And you can find them along the edges of the the dam in the lower light conditions. Gulf meadows, York baits, and where you can run blade baits all will catch some fish for
1: the shore angler as well. All right, my friend. If people want more information, how do they find you? I'm at Discount Fishing Taco, or six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. Always good information. Thank you, Austin. Thanks so much, guys. This uh, segment is brought to us in part by um, Elkwoods. Insurance company, Sean Early, Sean's motto is you get a hold of him and he'll shop your insurance while you're out in the field or on the water. You can find him at elkwoodsinsurance.com. We're going to take a time out, and one of our favorite people is going to join us from Colorado Clays, Jr. and we're going to talk some shooting on Terry Wixham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wicks from Outdoors on one oh four three the fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Let's go to the phones where I hope patiently waiting is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. How you doing? You know, I was really Go ahead. Oh, uh, Terry, I was gonna say I'm
3: doing very well. Thank you.
1: Okay. I um we were talking to Ed Gorman about the uh Upland game outlook and one of the things Ed made a comment about was You know, you're going to have to make every shot count this year, and if you're not seeing enough birds, you could still have fun to go somewhere and break some clays. I told him we were going to talk about that, and I want to get to that in a minute, but even before the Upland game starts, we've got goose season coming in, and talk about two different shot sizes, chokes, approach to the the sport. The goose are a class of their own, aren't they?
3: Absolutely, Terry, and I'll tell you, the most popular... Um, you know, preparation for the goose season is the Colorado Clay's Sporting Clay's course. Uh, we have fifteen stations set down on our beautiful Cottonwood Creek bottom, and it offers you a huge variety of shot presentations. So whatever you're trying to achieve, uh, you can work on the shots you want. And one of the real beauty of Colorado Clays is the fact that you can shoot as many or few shots as you want on our course, and you can shoot um, at any target you want. So it's a great preparation there. But, you know, Terry, we have another invaluable tool, and it's the, that Colorado Clays patterning area. And when you talk about the, you know, changing guns, ammo, and chokes, A person just can't assume that those different combinations are going to perform properly for the type of hunting you're doing. And Terry, I'll just share one little quick um, story on that so a couple years ago we had a gentleman showed up with an SP-10 10 10 gauge Uh, nice gun, uh, had a modified choke and it always performed very well um, with you know the lead shot and slower speed steel well the person decided that he wanted to change to some of the hypervelocity 1500 foot per second BB's Um, so went out on a hunt, was not having any luck bringing down birds at any distance, uh, was having to make multiple hits to bring the birds down so he shows up at colorado clays terry that gun on 25 to 30 yard range on the pattern area only had one to two pellets on a goose sized target so we went ahead we called briley who makes chokes ordered a custom choke just for that gun and load it was an end, extended choke i believe it was an imod and we went from uh that poor performance to oh, five to six pellets out to 70 yards. So we effectively doubled the effective range of that gun with just a choke change. And my, my encouragement to everyone is don't assume when you're changing loads that your gun is going to perform the same. Um, That is one tool that Colorado Clays has you have to take advantage of, and that way you know whatever shot size you chose, whatever choke you choose, and whatever velocity you're using is going to perform the way you need it to.
1: Well, it's really so critical to pattern with the exact combination you're going to hunt with. And you know another thing, the position you'll be shooting from and the clothing you're going to be wearing too.
3: Absolutely, Terry. So all of those are variables that can determine or change uh, point of aim, point of impact um, at a given distance on a given target. So we've been preaching this forever. Definitely practice with the clothes or clothing similar to those because that will change your length of pull to some degree, how your head lays on the gun. And certainly, um, you know, don't be afraid to come out and test all of this on our course um, as far as positions, you know, there is a lot of people that are sitting in a blind and sometimes they will be taking those sitting shots. When you're patterning that gun, go up there. We do have a table there. Uh, we do have a bench area and we can do standing as well. So you can literally see how your gun performs with you in different positions as well.
1: Well, you stop and think about taking uh, that effective range from 30 to 70 yards that's just ridiculous about an improvement. And of course, you know, I would have blamed it just on my own ineptness and I would never probably would have come in and patterned
3: it. And I would have just let you take the shots. Right. I would have blamed it on you as well, Terry, but let me tell you something. This is something that you literally would not believe if you didn't see it. And I think most people that come to the patterning area for the first time, regardless of what they're patting a gun for, are really astounded at how different what is going on downrange is than, you know, from what they thought. And one other thing, Terry, you're kind of getting towards that, is new guns. So a lot of folks, you know, things are coming around. I had a gentleman, and uh, this is another story of actual thing that happened, uh, bought a new gun. Uh, sent it to Colorado Plays. We did the background check and the transfer got it done just in time the day before uh, he had a guided goose hunt. Uh, He went out, did the hunt. I got a call later that day and you could tell he was very distraught and very disappointed. We brought that gun out to our patterning area the next morning and Terry, that gun was literally at 25 to 30 yards shooting over two feet high from the aim point. So we went ahead and did some quick adjustments, through a clip-on sight, slid it up the barrel, which pulled the barrel down, got the gun to where it was zero uh, at 30 yards. He went back out on a hunt that afternoon, cleaned house, did very well. Moral of that story, sent the gun back to the manufacturer. Turned out it was a defective gun. So don't ever assume, even with a brand-new gun, that it's going to perform like it should either. Always start at that pattern area.
1: Oh, you're exactly right. Now I want to go back to the Upland game where I kind of mentioned in the beginning. I had Ed Gorman on, and it's going to be a challenging Upland game season in both Colorado and Nebraska. Uh, to get a, an abundance of birds, you're probably going to have to spend quite a drive, get up in the Dakotas. But that doesn't mean there won't be opportunities. There's going to be opportunities for pheasants and quail in Colorado, but you're going to have to make your shot count. So a couple of things Ed mentioned. He goes first. Spend some time shooting clays, both so when you do get a shot, you make it count, but also you get some shooting in. It helps take away a little of the frustration of maybe not seeing as many birds and makes it a more pleasant
3: experience. Absolutely, Terry, and there's so many things that uh, coming out, any trigger time is going to give you familiarity with your gun. Uh, So many times I see the guys coming out to practice before the season, they haven't had the gun out all year, they forget to take the safety off. Uh, They're flubbing up, their uh, gun mount is improper, their stance is poor. So any shooting is good, uh, but when it comes to upland particularly, Uh, Colorado Clays has, again, the tools you need for realistic practice for upland game. And where I'm going with that one, Terry, is, of course, that wobble trap. The wobble trap offers a ground-level launch um, with a machine that moves left to right and up or down. And this can give you literally an infinite number of flush presentations. And the fact that it's overlaid on our skeet field makes the area and the distances you can um, choose to practice even more infinite so the beautiful thing about it is that you can personalize your practice to your strengths and weaknesses again at colorado clays you can shoot as many or few as you want anywhere on those fields so a person can really come out get a little bit of trigger time and actually work on shots that give you trouble because as we said with the numbers down fewer opportunities you really want to make them count
1: One last thing I want to touch on both the goose and the upland. Do you have recommendations for the size and type of shot for both geese and, of course, different for upland?
3: Yeah. Well, Terry, there's kind of some universal stuff. Um, As far as the upland birds and pheasants particularly, um, I think we touched on this last time. I had talked to a few guides, and I've talked to other ones since probably the most popular shot size for pheasant hunting is going to be number five shot, you know, and you can go up or down depending, but number five is kind of the universal constant accepted best um, number of pellets and energy delivered for pheasants. Uh, Choke selections tend to be, typically in the modified range, plus or minus for those. Uh, Most of them seem to like about an ounce and a quarter load in that 1,300 plus or minus foot per second range. Uh, Of all the guides, of all the people doing it, that seems to be the most popular. As far as goose hunting goes, some of this is determined by whether you're going to be doing pass shooting or uh, close-over decoy shooting. A lot of the guides that I've talked to the last... uh, Hey, prefer a very open choke and larger pellets, BBs or T shot, because they believe even with a few less pellets on target, the bigger pellets deliver energy and make for a cleaner harvest. Uh, For pass shooting, uh, choking up, tightening up, putting more pellets on target, uh, definitely um, the kind of the the go-to. That shot size selection, again, in that BB and T seems the most popular. I do know some usual uh, steel. And then, of course, with the heavy shot type stuff, uh, changes things up a little bit more as far as, you know, distance and energy delivered. So um, definitely go to the heavier, bigger shot size and heavier charges, but make sure that gun patterns well with them at the range you expect to be shooting.
1: All right, my friend. And is ammunition
2: readily available?
3: Well, Colorado Clay, of course, Terry, we always have all the, the target loads. Uh, duck and pheasant loads seem to be coming around a little bit more. I know some of the stores around have been carrying some. Uh you know the bass pro cabela shields you know comes and goes so you're probably going to be able to find something that will work for what you're doing and uh again waiting till the last minute is usually the nemesis of most of us but uh but the stores seem to have a pretty good stock of ammo that'll work for whatever hunting you're doing and how do people find you Give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to coloradoclays.com, check out the website, take the virtual tour. And again, Terry, make sure, give us a call, uh, let us know what you need, and we will get you fixed up.
1: All right, my friend, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, unless we get out fishing before that.
3: Let's plan on it, Terry.
1: All right, thanks, JR. Right. from Colorado Clays. We're going to take a quick time out. and we come back, I'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're just a teardrop in my eyes. Each night I cry myself to sleep. All right. You're listening you're to uh, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Of course, the teardrop in my eyes is a Wickstrom and Dobrith song. Please sing. Uh, Give us a search, Wickstrom and Dobris, both on social media and your uh, favorite streaming service. We have a new single that will be released probably within a few weeks. We've got the photo work done. We've got the song written. That's all arranged. We've just got to do a little graphics work, and it'll be out on your streaming services. But we still have our EP uh, out there with a number of songs. Give it a listen. Wickstrom and Dobreth. Follow us on Facebook here at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Um, a lot's going to be happening in the next few weeks. We're going to be having our Masters of Ice Fishing series with guests like Steve Penaz, Bro Brosdahl, Dave Gantz, and, of course, our own local experts. And we'll preview that on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We'll let you know, know who's coming on and kind of who they are. And it, it's going to be a lot of fun. More and more people are getting into ice fishing, so we'll take care of you there. Don't forget to go to our YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Speaking of ice fishing, there's a number of ice fishing shows on there that were filmed right here in Colorado. There's Lake John, North Michigan Reservoir, there's Dowdy, there's uh, up at Granby. So there's just a number of great shows that help you uh, pinpoint maybe some of your ice fishing spots and techniques. So take take a listen to that. Earlier in the show, I mentioned uh, the habitat for pheasants in Colorado. You know, the farm bill comes out every five years, and they've really kind of taken away a lot of the conservation land for habitat, the CRP. And because the commodity prices are higher and with the drought, a lot of farmers have grazed that land instead of taking it as conservation property. Um, Get involved. Talk to your local Pheasants uh, Forever chapter um, we need weather. We need to break this drought to really bring the pheasants and quail back. But we can also bring a lot of them back by improving habitat and give ourselves a jump start and a better opportunity. So make sure you, um, you take advantage of that. And the last opportunity out there right now, we always hear, I want to fish from shore. Well, all you shore anglers, they are stocking trout up and down the front range. Now, in the mountains, too, if you want to drive a little bit. But places like St. Bahrain, Boyd, Horsetooth, Chatfield, Aurora, a lot of smaller bodies water. I haven't checked the stocking report. A lot of places like Lawn Hagler and places like that get stocked on a regular basis once the water gets cool up at um, number of the state parks with small ponds. Just kind of go check the stocking report. Now is your chance to get out and fish from shore. You can do as simple as putting power bait out there. There's a number of lures. We covered them. I'll put these podcasts up on our Facebook page, Terry Wicks Outdoors, so you can kind of review how we told you to fish it. This is a great opportunity for you to just get out, take a kid out, or just go yourself and catch some fish. So this is going to go on until the lakes freeze up and it just can be the most wonderful time. You get a beautiful day out. Get out there. You catch a few fish. You can take a few home. They're a put-and-take resource. Take a few home, put them in the pan, and just get out and enjoy the beautiful opportunities we have here in Colorado. Remember, next week we will, instead of 9 to 11 on the fan, we will be 10 to noon on ESPN 1600. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports on 104.3 The Fan.